The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. I'm your host, broadcasting live from Founders Park in Nelson's Night. I hope you're keeping safe whatever part of the road you're on, be it cycling, driving, or just pedestrianising. Not sure that's a word, is it, but never mind. Thank you to MPD Fuels for keeping us fueled up on the show. Do use their fuel stations around the region. If you happen to have a car or truck that doesn't have a plug, very good value fuel from them. So tonight we will be uh, another one of our interview formats. Now, I know a lot of you, and indeed myself, like to think uh, we have expert opinions on everything to do with transport and safety and driving. Well, tonight... I think I've got someone who can really qualify to be called an expert, but we'll let him be the judge of that, as it were, or I'll let you be the judge of that. But we're very pleased uh, to be able to have Mr. Paul Durden from uh, Abley Transport Company. Paul, are you there? I am, Stephen. Hello. That's great. Uh, thank you for giving up your evening to join us. Uh, where, where, Actually, where are you calling from? I'm calling from Christchurch. Christchurch, all the way down in Christchurch. Well, we've got a reasonably balmy but overcast evening up here in Nelson. How's it like where you are? It was a uh, beautiful day, and it has recently uh, become overcast. I think an easterly's come up a little bit, so it was a, a nice day. Yes, those famous Christchurch winds that um, come up every so often, but there we go. There we go. So, Paul, tell us a little about uh, the company you work for and what you do there. Sure. So, um, I work for Ebley, and uh, founded by Steve Ebley around, uh, oh, must be getting close to 20 years ago now. And I've been working alongside Steve for 15 years now. Um, I joined the company back in the end of 2007 when we were a um, staff of four. Mm -hmm. We've grown pretty steadily over the last 15 years, and uh, now we employ around 85 people. Oh, my goodness. That is a huge growth. Yeah. And um, in terms of what the company does, we cover all aspects of transport from designing roads, uh, working with uh, the Waka Kotahi, the New Zealand Transport Agency, yep. many local councils doing road safety projects, looking at walking and cycling. We get involved at a strategic level, helping out uh, design strategy, policy, 
um, working with those agencies and stakeholders to secure funding, right through to uh, designing and implementing and monitoring how successful uh, the interventions that we're putting on the road have been. Ah, yes, that's that, that'll be an interesting one to talk about more, actually, isn't it? Because um, there can be a lot of controversy and debate about things changing, and one camp says this is going to happen, and another camp says, no, that's going to happen. But then we often don't hear back, well, has that lowered the accident rate? Has that improved travel time? So it might, yeah, it'll be good to maybe talk about some more of those. Yeah, that absolutely. monitoring side, yeah. Okay, so what... Um, what got you interested in, in working in this sector? What's what's your sort of background and angle on that? Yeah, look, uh, that's a good question. So I, uh, I studied for a civil engineering degree at the University of Canterbury, and as part of that, you do cover off uh, transport as part of that um, as part of that degree. And I, I, I guess I, I was really, um, yeah, uh, found myself gravitating towards um, transport and a lot of interest in it. I just, I just found the the human component of it far more exciting than. Uh, uh, understanding steel and concrete and uh, <laughs> geotechnical earth bank stability. I really um, found it fascinating because you still operate in a very much a physics-based environment for transport, but you have the added complexity of dealing with humans and how yeah. they utilise the system. And I found that um, particularly fascinating. And then uh, got a job um, when I left university with a, a large multinational firm and uh, started working in the road safety area and haven't really looked back. Right, yes, it's it's how the, the variable of human behaviour or human humans perhaps not behaving uh, in the way they ought to or maybe others think they should that yeah, makes this, well, I, I, guess, I guess it is a science but, but not a very exact one sometimes with, with all us humans involved. That's right. Um, we, we need to make, uh, you, you do need to uh, understand humans and human behaviour and uh, you need to uh, align that component with, with the physics as well and a lot of road safety and, and where we're heading as a country and a lot of what's being um, put forward through Road to Zero is a lot about physics because human bodies uh, are built in a way where we can only withstand force to a certain limit before we're likely to be very seriously injured or killed. Mm -hmm. So, you know, Road to Zero is very much largely about acknowledging that and trying to uh, contain any forces that do eventuate in a crash to survivable levels. Right. So, yes, actually, we'll talk because more about um, Road to Zero, which is the sort of big government um, strategy to drive down the... Um, what is a pretty horrendous accident rate for for a country um, like ours, I guess? Because uh, I've found your sort of you as a contact through an article you wrote for stuff about um, speed limits and lowering. Sp I think what was the title? Lower speeds add li Sorry, add minutes, save lives, and carbon. Um, was the sort of aspect aspect there. So can you tell us a little bit about the work you're doing with um, Waka Kotahi? Because it is, it's actually, I mean, this week it is a hugely, hugely uh, controversial topic with um, what's come out with their uh, sort of announcement of a lot of 
nationwide speed changes. Yeah, that's right. So, yes, earlier this week they uh, released their interim speed management plan, which highlighted what changes they're proposing to implement on the state highway network through to about the middle of 2024. And I think it was around 500 kilometres of uh, state highways that they were looking to have um, changed the speed limits on. The predominantly uh, all of it, or well, I'd say 95% of those would be for lower speeds. But right. the majority of those improvements are really focused around schools uh, and Marae as well. Right. So lowering speeds around schools. Um, and if you put it in perspective, 500 kilometres of the state highway network, so roughly around 4% of the state highway network, which is around 11,000 kilometres in length. Oh, no. and yeah, that is an interesting perspective to put it in. So in terms of sort of, oh, we're going to be reduced speed everywhere sort of thing. Well, no, actually, it's just 4%. Correct, yeah. And it's Waka Kotahi have been quite public in terms of uh, sharing what their, their plans are. Um, but this isn't just isolated to state highways. So I know that uh, around four weeks ago, Invercargill implemented uh, just over 300 kilometres of uh, speed limit changes on their network, which is over half of their network. Yeah. So they're taking really bold steps. Um, and we know that Auckland has made um, a number of changes as well. So they implemented 800 kilometres of speed limit change in June 2020, so right in the middle of our COVID times. And you know, they've been in place for over two years now. And the early statistics coming out um, from Auckland indicate that they're having a, a really positive impact on road safety. Okay, so that's... Um so in terms of cutting accidents and serious accidents, uh, ba- yeah. basically because vehicles are going slower and drivers have more time to react? or Absolutely, and that's not just a comparison of before and after crashes that have happened because we appreciate that uh, traffic volumes um, changed in the after period. So that analysis looked at, um, it did a comparison of all the roads where the speed limits had changed and compared crash rates to the rest of the network that was not subject to a speed limit change right. on, the, on the assumption that the same changes in traffic volumes that might might have occurred because of COVID lockdowns and the like would have been experienced across the network. And that has shown after two years that uh, there's a 39% reduction in fatalities and a 20% reduction in injury crashes overall on those roads where the speed limits have been changed. So it's a pretty positive um, story. Yeah, I mean, for 40%, yeah, that, that's a pretty, well, that's a hugely significant um, number. So so with the uh, the lowering around schools particularly, is that is that sort of getting consistent speed limits around schools? Because you see... Um, all the signs around schools, you know, slow down to 40, child hanging off the slightly bending speedometer kind of thing. But I guess some schools are rural or semi-rural and they could be on potentially stretches of road that were 80 or 60 or whatever. Is, is So is it trying to make a consistent one outside of school and a certain distance, it all has to be down to this? Yeah, you're right. Um, it is, and that's, that's a really good observation that you've made there. Um, so 
earlier this year, the, the legislation around the setting of speed limits was updated and released. And, and one of the things that it did um, in the new legislation was it, it got very specific about schools. So uh, every school is now classified as a Category 1 school or a Category 2 school. And a Category 1 school is effectively schools in urban environments. And the expectation is that those schools will have a speed limit outside them, so where the children will be particularly crossing to get in and out of the the main school gates or crossing the road to get um, close to the school, down to 30 kilometres an hour, either permanent or as a variable sign, so one that comes on uh, maybe 20 minutes before school starts and and again at school end time. And then those Category 2 schools um, are predominantly rural schools and they have an upper speed limit of 60 kilometres per hour now, which I think is really great for a lot of the rural schools that we have throughout the country uh, that are often on our main roads and they have, you know, currently have speeds of 100 or 80 kilometres per hour and that's not a particularly safe environment for um any of our young people to be standing outside the front front gate, whether or not they are uh, walking down the road to their house or waiting to be picked up by a school bus or by mum and dad. So uh, I think that that's a really terrific initiative that's yeah. been introduced. Yeah, no, that does sound that does sound sensible as a parent. Certainly, or hopefully as a human being, we can all kind of relate um, to that one. You, ma- you mentioned some will have sort of variable uh, mm-hmm. speed limits, and presumably there's a bit of a cost issue there because they have to be electronic and linked into something that says it's 20 to 3, put the speed limit down. or um, So you can't do that outside every school, presumably. Uh, the expectation would be that, uh, no, you, you wouldn't necessarily need to put um, a variable speed limit outside of every school. But certainly schools that are on main roads, my, my understanding would be that um, variable speed limits will become more common or more extensive than they, they already are. Right. Uh, because those those roads are unlikely to be permanently at 30 kilometres per hour. Okay, okay. And you also mentioned um, Marae, which would presumably have similar, you know, lots of folk coming and going, um, and, and they're going to be classified as a similar almost like an urban area if, if they're outside of a traditional urban area. Yeah, that's right. I think it's um, uh, also um, a really great initiative to, to start to include and uh, acknowledge Marae and a lot of um, the planning and to, to understand the, um, the needs of, of iwi and uh, what we need to do as a country to um, protect um, uh, that community as well and, and to show them respect for uh, uh, the times when they're having activities outside at the MRI. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting, I just think talking about, I mean, that word you used about um, showing respect, um, and you won't, you won't know this particular circumstance, but uh, here in Nelson, um, our main route into town down Rutherford Street has been uh, blocked off for many months because they're doing major infrastructure uh, replacement of water pipes and stuff so uh, one of the reroutes is round a very residential area um, which is normally 50 but the council have temporary signs up saying 30 uh, well 
because obviously the traffic volumes are a lot more and there's sort of new little mini roundabouts to negotiate and stuff. Uh, and one of their signs, that so to start with for the first week or so, there was just this sort of 30 speed sign. And then um, after a week, I noticed on one of the fences, a, a resident, or I think it was because I think I saw them putting them up. It was uh, some teenagers actually painted sort of slow down 30 um, because basically most drivers weren't doing 30. Mm. They were just doing we do what we've always done through here, which is 50. And then the council put a sign up on one of the matrix boards saying, slow down 30, please respect the residents. And that did then seem, as people got used to it, to um, lower the speeds through there. But there's still, I guess, an awful lot of cars just basically ignoring that 30. And think 30 is too slow. This is a 50. This is kind of what I always do. Yeah, look, and that certainly um, reminds me of a time in Christchurch uh, post-earthquake where we had extensive 30 with all, all of the roadworks around the city. Oh, yeah. And I remember seeing signs pop up saying, um, with, a, a, I guess, a, a sketch that a child may have drawn of, of, their, of their dad and just said, slow down, my dad works here yeah. um, at the roadwork sites. And just because... There was so much of it um, around the city. And so, yes, you're right, people were probably getting a little bit complacent about uh, uh, seeing all of those signs asking them to go 30. And that, and that just served, I think, as a really good reminder. And it even got made into some little um, billboard, um, uh, sorry, um, uh, stickers that you put on the back of your car and says, oh, you know, I drive 30 through roadwork sites and, and things right. like that. And yeah. One of those, uh, I guess, initiatives where the public's getting in behind and understands why it's yeah. happening. I mean, I, I could appreciate for some, you know, it's just plain forgetfulness or inattentiveness, which isn't great, but is is sort of understandable under some circumstances. Um, but you sometimes, whether for others, well, I'm, I want to go as fast as I want to go. I don't really care about urban speed limits and stuff, and uh, and and. Yeah, it's well, we're on another topic altogether, but I guess it's we can put speed limit changes in, but it's getting everybody to abide by them sometimes, and it, it kind of only takes one for a nasty event to occur, to occur potentially. That's right, and look, um, certainly um, putting up speed limit signs alone isn't necessarily going to um, be as effective as, uh, say, uh, combining with um, infrastructure treatments. And I know that there's a lot of um, uh, towns uh, and central city areas that still have speed limits of 50 kilometres per hour but are designed in a way that um, speeds of, of traffic is, is very much around 30 kilometres per hour or, or even slower than that, which is exactly the environment that they um, wish to create in those town centre environments because we have lots of people walking around, even if they've driven to the town centre, but walking mm -hmm. around on foot to explore the shops, go to the cafe, visit the library, um, run your errands, um, work in those environments. And it's just a far more pleasant environment to be in if the car's travelling much slower in those spaces. Yeah. And yes, definitely the infrastructure component's really critical to, to getting those speeds down okay. and keeping them down as well.
So before we, I ask you a, a little about what are, what are those infrastructure components or those tools in your toolbox you've got there. What what would you say? Because some people come along and say, well, we've had you know it's been fifty for the last thirty, forty years, and that seems to have been okay. I you know there might have been one or two accidents, but we haven't had you know major calamities. Why 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 are we all having to go slower in towns all of a sudden, as as yeah. they might perceive it? Oh, that, that's a good question. Um, New Zealand has inherited a, a system where speed limits default to become 100 kilometres per hour in rural areas unless they go through a process to have them changed to something different. And in urban areas, the same applies, but the, the limit is 50. Uh, over, over the last decade or more, there's been a growing awareness uh, nationally, but, but predominantly based on international research around what uh, is known as survivable speed, so in an right. impact. And, and certainly, uh, if a pedestrian's involved in a collision with a car, then the survivable speed limit, or a survivable impact speed, is 30 kilometres per hour. And okay. when it says it's a survivable limit, there's still a 10% risk of death at 30 kilometre per hour impact, which is pretty high, and I certainly wouldn't want to be hit by a car at 30 kilometres per hour. No. But um, the, the risk, if you were to compare it to being hit at 50 kilometres an hour, uh, where the risk of dying is closer to 50%, uh, I know which one I'd prefer. So, so it's really just following the science and the evidence around that, because we are all pedestrians, even if we do drive cars. Mm -hmm. at, at some stage on the journey, we are pedestrians, and a lot of times that will be um, in the neighbourhoods where we live, or in those, uh, or in those areas where we work, or uh, go for recreation, or go shopping, or catch up with our friends as well. And so these are the areas that are being targeted for these much lower uh, 30 kilometre an hour speed limits in our urban areas. Okay, so it's it's sort of really research based in terms of identifying there's a much higher percentage chance of surviving. If something does go wrong, if if you're yeah. at a lower speed, um, yeah, yeah, the research says that the the risk of dying um, doubles every ten kilometer an hour increase well, from thirty. So you go yeah. sort of twenty uh, percent at forty kilometers an hour, forty percent at fifty kilometers an hour, and then it, you know you you go up to a point where once you get to sort of seventy kilometers per hour, uh, you're very unlikely to survive sure. that outcome. Sure. Okay. Um, it's pretty sobering stuff we're talking about here, but it sure is. It sure <laughs> is. Let's get on because uh, you mentioned some of the sort of infrastructure things. It's not just um, signs and speed limits. There are things you can do with infrastructure to encourage the behaviour or the lower speed you want. So, so what, what, what's, what are those sort of things that you're seeing coming into Christchurch or other other towns and cities? Yeah, look, uh, I don't know if your, um, your, your listeners would be aware of uh, Kaiapoi, which is a town immediately north of Christchurch. They have a main street that um, has, still has a speed limit of 50 kilometres per hour, but they've imp introduced a number of um, uh, infrastructure initiatives along their main road there, and their speed limits in the middle of the day are around 26 kilometres per hour. And there are things like um, uh, roundabouts at, at key intersections, oh, and they right. have um, raised platforms with their pedestrian crossings as well. So uh, those raised crossings just 
break up the um, the stretch of the main road. So, so cars are either progressing through a roundabout or then getting to a raised platform. Yeah. And there's a lot of activity as well to reinforce it um, and, and narrowings around intersections. Effectively, it's just uh, it's an environment that reinforces back to the driver that you're travelling through an area where you can expect there to be lots of people moving around on foot or or, mm-hmm. or using a bike or, or, or some uh, e-mobility uh, device and you need to progress through there respectfully. And yep. and so it's not just done through science, uh, it's really done through the infrastructure. Yeah, we have a, a lot of raised crossings in the Nelson um, city centre, the by, by negotiation crossing. Um, some are better yes. than negotiating yeah. than others, but hey, uh, yes, and it's always entertaining watching. I, d- I think I think most of the most of the highly customised cars know just to stay clear, but you can tell the out of towny customised cars because they're trying to navigate um, our raised crossings at like forty five degree angles, trying to avoid taking yeah. the <laughs> front spoilers off or grounding themselves. Um, so yeah, so they're those they're those. Um, sort of platforms interestingly we had those for quite a while and we've only just had 30 kilometer an hour speed limits introduced in the last year i think in nelson center if i'm right yeah Um, in combination yeah there's definitely been a lot more emphasis placed on speed limit changes in the last five years and i think in in the last year or two years it's really started to uh, increase in, in the public profile from my perception of being involved in the industry and um, uh, working with the likes of Waka Kotahi and, and local government as well, and I've seen a quite a large change in the perception of the public uh, in relation to speed limit change proposals. And generally in urban areas, I think uh, it's gone beyond the tipping point and now there's actually more support for right. slower speed limits right. in urban areas than opposition. Um, in rural areas, uh, we're still catching up and there's still yeah, quite a vocal uh, group uh, against the slower speed limits in rural areas. But in urban areas, uh, what we've found now is uh, communities are lobbying their, um, their local council or Waka Kotahi to say, when are you lowering the speed limit in our area? Because uh, you know, we, we want traffic to be going much slower uh, it, it creates a far nicer mm. environment uh, it's more pleasant to walk and cycle around and yeah, lowering speed limits isn't just about road safety that's, that's one of the I guess the, the key messages that I'd like to get across and I'd like to see come across a little bit more with some of the, uh, the communication strategies around road to zero and some of these road safety initiatives that it's not just about safety as the be-all and end-all outcome that is being sought. So, uh, yeah, so let's talk a little bit more about that, and actually. So you're saying it's a sort of a quality of, of life factor, a, a feeling good or... Because that must be feeling safer in the area you want, but are, are you saying there's sort of other things associated with, with that slower speed? Because surely it doesn't change the volumes of traffic or the pollution or, or whatever... No, that's right. Uh, the speed of traffic um, does really have a large bearing on people's perception of, of safety, particularly when they're travelling 
um, on foot or, or cycling as well mm-hmm. and creating environments where people um, uh, where traffic volumes uh, or where traffic's traveling a lot slower actually does promote people to 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 move and, and change mode and feel more comfortable cycling or walking right, yeah. and in particularly as a parent myself uh, you know my, my kids um, one walks to school high school age child he walks to school my son who's at intermediate he bikes um, and it's a combination of for me a combination of uh, speed limits around where we are but also the infrastructure particularly for the youngest one who cycles because he's able to uh, travel the majority of his journey on a separated cycling facility along an arterial road which ah. is, is absolutely fantastic um, and if that wasn't there then perhaps we would feel uh, far more uh, anxious about mm. um, I guess encouraging him and supporting him on his uh, want to go and cycle to school with his mates yeah okay so you mentioned um you know urban some urban areas are actually asking for speed limit reductions and that's not necessarily the case in other areas and indeed i can't remember who made the comment but there was something about uh kotahia slowing new zealand down this is slowing new zealand business or we're you know we're so what what what's made some areas because you mentioned a tipping point, what's made some areas come, actually, we do want speed reductions, but what, what's made that massive, or some areas in the public say, actually, no, this is what we as a whole want, rather than we want to go faster? Uh, I, look, I don't really know the answer to that, but I, I guess it's the opportunity to experience uh, what it's like in locations where it has happened. Now, I... I don't know if you can cast your mind back a couple of years to the uh, to the first lockdown. Oh, yes, of course. And we were all able to go and uh, walk around our neighbourhoods to get a bit of fresh air and a little bit of mm. exercise. And, and, of course, there was yeah, isn't almost no one That's on right. the roads. And I know my family and I know many people and uh, you know, my friend group and work colleagues were just commenting about and neighbours commenting about how, how lovely it was mm. to be walking around their neighbourhoods, um, cycling around their neighbourhoods and getting to experience their neighbourhood in a way that they perhaps hadn't had the opportunity before, um, largely because there was a lot of traffic around. And I think that when cars returned, we all felt like we lost something. Sure, we might have got a little bit of freedom back at the same time, but equally... Uh, when that occurred, you lost that ability to go and spend time in your neighbourhood and use roads as, as public spaces for, you know, you stand in the middle of the road, walk down the centre line, basically, yeah. if you wanted to. Um, I'll remember the photos of those. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so there's there's a there's a potential silver lining to COVID then, uh, <laughs> or to yeah. lockdowns, rather. Yeah, I think just as a as a as a as a race, humans are very uh, reluctant or, or nervous about change. And when change is proposed, often the initial reaction is, "I don't know if I'd like to have that change." But mm-hmm. there's been many examples um, in time, you know, maybe five years ago, when um, single-use plastic bags were banned. Uh, there was a lot of coverage in the media of people going uh, saying, "How will we? How will we shop? 
how's this going to be possible? And now people adapted very rapidly, and I'm sure that if we went to change back now, there would be an equally large backlash about that. And if you go back even further, and I say 20 years ago when uh, smoking was permitted inside um, an inside environment mm -hmm. and when the Smoke-Free Environments Act was proposed, um, I was at a, at a seminar recently and that was used as an example and at the time I think three quarters of the public opposed the initiative to ban smoking indoors uh, and that was back in the early 2000s. And even when the, the law changed a couple of years later, there was still 50% of the population opposed to that law coming in. Yet, I'm sure that if we went to um, repeal that law and uh, flip things around and permit smoking indoors now, that there may only be, I think you'd be lucky to get 5% of people thinking that that's a good idea. The overwhelming majority of people who now haven't been able to experience all of those uh, changes uh, would be um, significantly opposed to it and wouldn't want to go back. Yes, I think you're probably right there. It's as we get to appreciate what some of the effects of how we've been doing things have on each other or our environment or whatever it is that, um, yes, when we experience those, we think, oh, yeah. Maybe. And in the road safety area, there, there's a lot of misinformation that's being, or, or opinions that are being pushed forward at the moment that really, uh, yeah, it, it's misinformation. The, the amount of travel time um, changes that speed limits uh, introduce typically is significantly less um, change than what some people think. So. Mm. As an example, the Christchurch to Akaroa Highway uh, had its speed limit changed a couple of months ago, and I know that there was um, a lot of um, uh, vocal voices out there in the public um, opposed to it, saying that tourism would die because people would take so long, much longer to get over there, and businesses would go out of business, and, uh, and it would add you know, 20 minutes' worth of extra travel. The reality is uh, it's added around four minutes of additional travel time to an hour an hour and uh, 12 minute drive beforehand so right. an hour and 12 minutes is based, based on average time. journey times or that, sampling that's right stuff, based yeah. on average journey times yeah. um, I've driven that route uh, a number of times I drive over there most weekends um, and that's my experience as well it's around four or five minutes extra travel time and I Earlier this week, I um, Google mapped it to check to see what Google was saying, and it um, backed up that it was four minutes longer than what it was saying prior to the um, speed limit change. And that's because most of our roads in New Zealand, uh, you, you can't drive at 100 for a lot of it because we have bends and Indeed, um, yeah. uh, other winding alignments where more often than not you're travelling well below 100 kilometres per hour. Yes. So it's really just knocking yeah. off those um, higher end speeds on the on the straight sections. Yes, and indeed, uh, some of those, as you say, bends you wouldn't want to drive around at 100 kilometres an hour if you wanted to stay on the road, or certainly not risk crossing over the other side. I remember um, we have a road from Nelson to Blenheim, which is also a very uh, mm -hmm. in the news road uh, at the moment for for many reasons, but apart from the repairs, um, so. 
Hopefully uh, those will be completed on schedule for the residents who are a bit stuck and isolated. But I think a couple of years ago they um, reduced the speed limits uh, on that state highway. And there's a section just out of uh, Nelson called the Fungamoas where you climb up a very sort of set of switchbacks hills and um on <laughs> i have to admit this on a couple of days before they changed the speed limit on those uh sort of switchbacks down to to 60 i thought well i'll, I'll just try it out at the legal speed limit while I, you know to, to go faster than 60 and i think then the legal speed limit was 80 so i i got actually got a clear run at the fungamos which is very rare not to have anything in front of you and i had a a nice handling car but most of the corners I couldn't go around anything more than 60 anyway and and going around at that speed was making me feel significantly queasy and I never get queasy driving and it's sort of thing this is stupid trying to go around any faster anyway so it's sort of the speed limit matches the conditions more and the safety and but if, if you've got a hundred speed limit on a bend you might make the assumption I can go around that bend at a hundred because there aren't sort of necessarily any warnings or stuff telling me to slow right down. It's only my eyes and my experience that says, uh, actually, you don't want to take that any faster than 50. But, in le right. but legally, I could take it at 100, but you don't want to do that. Yes, um, legally doesn't necessarily imply safely, and I think that that's, that's part of the reason why we're introducing uh, lower, or why lower speed limits are being promoted yeah uh, throughout the country because uh, it's founded on on the premise that um, humans are fallible and we make mistakes and so um, if you mistakenly think that maybe it is because it's signposted at 100 it means that it could be safe to travel all parts of the road at relatively high speeds well that's that's an erroneous assumption to make and is probably going to um, lead you to uh, and to strife at some point Indeed. on the network or lead someone, you know, or worse, result in someone else, an innocent party, yeah, absolutely. Um, being injured as well. Absolutely. So let's talk cause a, a little bit about that article you did, because it's not just about saving uh, lives, but also potentially saving fuel as well and you can say, well, isn't that boring to save fuel kind of thing, but there, but there are other aspects that we're doing because uh, you know obviously um a large group of people of which i'd include myself we like driving we like experiencing roads um but it's not just about um you know maybe adding just a few extra minutes to your time and and saving lives potentially more lives there's, there's another aspect as well yeah sure and look i like driving too um i love exploring our, our beautiful country and in, in, in my car with with my family um but certainly from a, from a professional perspective as well, I can see how insane some of our speed limits are. If you're driving in the North Island and you come off the, um, the Waikato Expressway and then uh, you transition into an undivided section of road in the Waikato, it feels incredibly unsafe to be driven at 100 kilometres an hour when you've just come off mm. a beautiful brand new four-lane median divided road with barriers on both sides to suddenly be spat out into a two-lane undivided road. And yes, the Waikato Expressway, you can drive 110 kilometres per hour. 
but to still be able to go 100 kilometres an hour on the straight section immediately beyond that, it just doesn't feel right. Uh, and you, you, I think when you go through that transition from one environment that has a really high level of um, safety built into it from an infrastructure perspective to an environment that's probably um, quite representative of most of our roading network at 100 kilometres an hour and you think, my goodness, actually, there's, if something goes wrong here, there's no redundancy in mm. the system to, to, to stop a bad outcome from happening. Yes, and it's well. It's interesting you mentioned on the so on the newer roads where you've got you know big safety, big wide areas. You can, as, as you mentioned, some of those are actually faster than the traditional maximum speed limit because presumably it's safer because of the way the road's built and it's engineered, and it is actually safer to go faster. Absolutely, and um, as part of the the legislation changes that I mentioned earlier, that um, that um, opened the door to speed limits being um, 110 kilometres per hour. And I think it's important for, for people to realise that uh, it's not all about uh, lowering speeds. It is about setting speeds that are called, the phrase is safe and appropriate for the environment. So where the environment has been engineered to a really high standard, then it is safe and appropriate to go 110 kilometres per hour. And the Waikato Expressway, is a great example of that where the speed limit has been increased because it has um, a central medium barrier, there's barriers on both sides, mm -hmm. there's two lanes in each direction, property access is either non-existent or comes on via intersections which are typically um, via an interchange as opposed to an at-grade intersection or, or an intersection where you, have, where you have potential for conflict. And I think that's it's fantastic that we are building roads to those high standards and can reward drivers with the ability to um, drive faster than they normally would have been able to on them. Yeah. So when you've mentioned about the sort of rationale behind the speed limit drops in um, urban areas because the towns. What, mm -hmm. what, what about the people who say, well, I've driven that road for 30 years at 100 k and I've never had an issue and all my friends have never had an issue and you know why why, why should we go slower because because yeah, a central agency thinks we ought to yeah and look that, that, that's the fundamental challenge that uh, is facing our industry in this space because the reality is that individually we're quite unlikely to be involved in a, in a crash or, mm. or at least in a, in a crash that um, results in injuries throughout our lifetime. And uh, the vast majority of us, I'm sure, think that we're an excellent driver and that's likely to be the case. However, it doesn't mean that we are free from error and I'm sure many of uh, your listeners have experienced times where they've driven and they've been perhaps a little tired, mm -hmm. momentarily took their eyes off the road because they've been distracted, um, or, or a variety of other reasons where it's not a, it's not a deliberate mistake. Yeah. Uh, it's not deliberately acting outside uh, the rules that govern our system and um, found themselves perhaps close to a crash but have 
just recovered in time. Mm-hmm. Well, the reality is if, if that happens um, for uh, you, it'll probably be happening for a large proportion of our population. And, and the reality is that the statistics around um, road incidents would say that more than 50% of um, fatalities and serious injuries that occur on our roads do result from simple um, mistakes by drivers that right. are, where they are actually operating within the, um, the law. Okay, so it's not that being illegal or... Because obviously the boy races and the girl races get various rap for bad driving, but it's just a, a simple human error. Yeah, and, judgment, and, or that's right. In terms of fatalities, around around thirty percent of fatalities are uh, a result of people that are behaving significantly outside of what we okay. call the, the system limits. So they might be excessively speeding, driving an unwarranted or unregistered vehicle, not wearing a seatbelt would actually class uh, come into that um, because okay. that's that's considered something that you do. Yeah. Um, and I guess that so there's they're the ones that perhaps tend to to be the focus of um, media uh, outcome or media attention mm-hmm. because of perhaps some other behaviours that, that may have been involved. But the reality is that that, that that's that group of um, individuals that are involved in those sort of crashes are still outweighed in number by you and I who may just make a um, a single error. Or someone else on the road makes an ah. error, and others get uh, swept up in that incident. Okay, so the other category gets the, as you say, media attention, but it's actually the simple mistake that that uh, the majority is behind the majority. That's right. Well, the, the terrible incident um, um, with the, the family that was heading to um, Picton after a, uh, uh, yes. a funeral. Yeah. Um, I don't know full details, but. I would suspect that it was simply a case of um, uh, fatigue mm-hmm. there in that particular instance uh, that resulted in um, the driver failing to take uh, uh, a bend and uh, uh, just at that particular point in time there happened to be yeah, a large truck heading the yeah. other direction yeah. and uh, if, for instance, that road was median divided then that incident would in all likelihood have been avoided yeah. Uh, if the speed limit was lower, um, there may have been uh, fewer deaths. Um, um, it's likely that there still would have been um, some very significant um, outcomes because mm-hmm. um, van versus uh, truck head-on is yeah. still not great at 80 yeah. kilometres per hour, but it's certainly a lot less energy than when it's at uh, 100 kilometres per hour. Yeah. So, I mean, you, you mentioned the sort of safety barriers in the middle of the road, and that, that kind of brings us on to the... The tricky choices governments and everybody has to make because road in you know making every road in New Zealand like the Waikato Expressway or um, transmission gully standards, uh, even median barriers in a lot of places you know they 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 are expensive infrastructure improvements and the New Zealand roads tend to move around a little bit as well so they're always. Uh, having to be repaired and then you sort of want to get well do we actually want to get more people out of cars we want to get them onto bikes we want to get them onto public transport how 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 do you how do you choose how do you influence the levers or pull the pull the right levers to make what you want to happen happen yeah that 
It's a great question. It's one of the, the, the key things that the industry um, grapples with on a on a daily basis, really. So, the reality is that uh, it would it, it's inaffordable to uh, comprehend having a Waikato Expressway uh, environment, even for our um, state highway. It would be lovely for State Highway One from Kaitaia to Bluff to be uh, median divided, but. I couldn't see that happening uh, in the next uh, 20 years. And then State Highway 1 would only uh, represent, say, 1,000, 1,200 kilometres of, of roads, and so that's 1% of all of our roads <laughs> right, throughout 1%. the country. Oh, boy. That's right, yeah. So there's, there's just under 100,000 kilometres of roads in New Zealand, and 30,000 of those are unsealed. And Is that right? 30,000 are unsealed? Yeah, absolutely. I yes. didn't know uh, that. No, well... Uh, I was assuming yes. it was like about 3%. No, it's uh, <laughs> a, a, a massive proportion. All of those um, backcountry roads that just provide uh, an access way down to, to a farm, oh, oh, uh, yeah, yeah they, they mount up. And um, many of our local councils manage extensive uh, networks of unsealed roads. And the reality is... There's two types of investment um, that can be really applied to those to make them safer. One of them is to uh, maintain the road, so to make sure that uh, the surface um, is as good as it can be for an unsealed surface. And then the second one really is um, to advise people about safe operating speeds on those roads. And so under the the new speed management guidance that's out, it's very much um, directive around... Uh, moving those unsealed roads to 60 kilometres per hour as a maximum, right. which would be um, reflective of um, what is what is the safe operating speed on those roads. Okay. So no that, more that's your question, because I've sort of I've, yeah. <laughs> I've uh, wandered away in another direction. Um, yeah, the challenge around funding and what to do. I think we need to do a little bit of everything. And right. so, so speed limits alone, if we lowered all the speed limits around the country, that's not going to get us to zero, but it will certainly take us a long way. Um, and it needs to be supported with um, improved infrastructure. And we need to keep doing uh, things like um, upgrading our very busy roads that um, justify having a medium barrier down there. So there's enough people using them uh, for that to be affordable and to keep upgrading those parts of the network. We need to keep upgrading parts of our urban environment as well and encourage people to um, jump out of their, their car for certain trips so that they can mm-hmm. be encouraged to, people can be encouraged to walk and cycle around. Uh, we need to invest more in public transport as well and make public transport uh, a viable alternative for people to commute to work and go and uh, 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 to replace car trips for, for other activities that they wish to partake in. There's so many different things that we need to invest in, and that's just the roads and the speeds. I haven't even start got on to enforcement or penalties or just improving the improving the overall uh, safety and quality and age of our, our vehicle fleet, which is very oh, old yes, by yes, international yes. standards. Yeah, that's true. I think our average, well, a few years ago, our average age of a car was 14 years old, where if you go to Europe or stuff, it's, and obviously, the, you know, got more people, more taxes, more 
wealth opportunities I think it's down at something like eight years so that's that's a pretty significant difference in that's energy. right and I, I think in um, uh, yeah, so some of the best performing countries around the world uh, they're doing all of the things that we're starting to do in terms of um, a safer better infrastructure and safer speeds but they have a big head start on us as well because their their vehicle fleets a lot newer and being newer they have um, much a greater proportion of vehicles with good safety features yeah. in them, yeah. which is critical to not only avoiding collisions, but if you're in a collision, then providing uh, greater safety for, for the occupants of the vehicle, plus also um, uh, people that are outside the vehicle. So if you had a pedestrian, uh, a part of the star rating now um, looks at the the safety of people outside of the vehicle that may be collided with by the vehicle yes and i know i'm probably gonna get myself into trouble here but people who stick the bull bars on the front of pickups as a decorative thing just imagine if that bumped into your kid at 20 kilometers an hour between the difference of having a solid steel bull bar hit a pedestrian versus it doesn't even really worth thinking about does it no no it doesn't um so the the road to zero is is all about getting road deaths down well as far as two to zero um there's a there's a phrase called a big hairy audacious goal and uh there's other phrases about that's pie in the sky dreaming or or whatever so it's tackling things like you mentioned the roading infrastructure the car safety speed limits driver education force. is it is it is it realistic to have to have that road to zero as as a goal, are, are we just going to spend money, money, and massive, and we're not going to get there? I think it's, uh, it's I think it's fantastic that we have it as a goal, uh, and I certainly think that we can, with the tools that are currently at our disposal, I don't see any reason why we couldn't eliminate two thirds of the deaths that happen on our roads at the moment. The final third will be challenging, mm -hmm. uh, and I would be hopeful that uh, enhancements in, in vehicles and vehicle technology over time will help to address those, um, but it's also going to be largely about um, the 30% the that I mentioned earlier of people that are deliberately acting outside the bounds of, of the, um, the safe system environment yeah. at the moment, and, and how do we go about addressing those? So, I mean, because proportionally, I believe in New Zealand here, we we do have proportionally for our population size and stuff a, f a, a worse accident and death rate than many other equivalent sized or populated countries. Um, we sure do. Yes. And it's sort of why why is that? Is it is it because our mistakes get punished more harshly by the environment we're in? Is it? older car fleet you know, why, why, why is it why are we like we are I think there's a number of factors and the ones that you've mentioned there uh, certainly uh, will be part of the picture so we do have fewer high quality roads in New Zealand um, things are changing with the Christchurch um, Southern Motorway and Northern Arterial recently been oh, yeah. uh, opened, we've got Transmission Gully now which takes away a relatively high-risk corridor around the coast. Mm -hmm. There's the Waikato Expressway. So th there's lots of good stuff um, happening in that regard. But the proportion of our network that is built to that standard is still quite low, right. um, particularly for a trunk highway network compared to other countries. 
Um, that's not the only answer, though. Um, certainly, the, the age of our vehicle fleet isn't isn't helping. Um, there's other things like I would say, suggest that our uh, just general enforcement uh, is relatively poor um, or, or lacking in New Zealand okay. compared to other countries, and the penalties here are quite weak um, compared to to other other countries as well. Even our cousins in Australia seem to have um, far harsher penalties for. Uh, infringements um, right. in, their, in their driving in terms of speeding or if they're caught driving um, with excess blood alcohol or or, or other infringements to do okay. with um, unroadworthy vehicle or, or something like that. And so perhaps it's that, um, you know, if we if we had stronger penalties and um, greater enforcement, then that would help um, discourage uh, some behaviours on the road network and certainly would have a positive outcome. Right, yes, because, I mean, again, uh, well, in the city centres we have growing numbers of speed cameras but not outside, and, of course, kind of everybody hates speed cameras, but um, a lot of countries have said that's really helped their accident rate at key accident spots to to get the speed. Yeah, I, to get I know in New, New South Wales we do some work um, for some of the state authorities in Australia, and in, in New South Wales there uh, fines that come in through uh, operating vehicles on their road networks ring fenced to go specifically back into the road safety improvements. So if you want to make a, a voluntary contribution to that fund by speeding, then um, you can do that, <laughs> and that, um, that gets... Um, feedback into the system to, to continually improve road safety outcomes, infrastructure, speed limits, whatever it is. Ah, so yeah, that's, one way, that's one way you can donate to the cause. <laughs> yes, that's right. Well, um, Paul, time has whizzed by. We've got only about 60 seconds left. So um, thank you so much for sharing all your expertise uh, and why the reasons why things are happening like they are on our New Zealand roads at the moment. That's been really interesting for me to hear. Have you, have you one last message for um, the drivers of of New Zealand in terms of behaviours and stuff? Uh, you put me on the spot here a little bit. I have, but, haven't uh, I? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Or any last thing you'd like to say? Uh, look, I, I just um, I think that um, if I could encourage uh, your listeners as drivers to think um, about others on the network. And so um, your behaviour, I guess, uh, sets an example and it impacts other people around you. And even though you're, you're very likely to be a very competent driver, um, if you modify your behaviour and, and set a good example, then um, others will follow as well and collectively will get some really great benefits from that. Yeah. And I think uh, just trust some of the experts who are delivering some of these initiatives as yeah. well and okay. perhaps withhold uh, judgment until you've had a chance to experience it. <laughs> Paul Durden, thank you very much for your time tonight. We have been Drive Alive back in two weeks. This is Fresh FM, community access media for Te Ihu, the top of the south. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM. The Top of the South's Community Access Media Station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other Community Access Media Stations, 
go online to accessmedia.nz. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details.